Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for the show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who has wasted way too much time thinking about the Time Warner mergers over the past decades, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Macon Delrahim from the United States Justice Department. He's the Assistant Attorney General for the Antitrust Division, one of my favorite divisions of the Justice Department, and has been at the center of the government's attempts to stop Time Warner from merging with AT&T, but also deal with a lot of other issues, many of which will be around tech. Macon, welcome to Recode Decode. Kara, thanks so much for having so, me. I'm thrilled you're here. I know there's certain things you can't talk about. I get that. But I wanted to get people to have a, one of the things that's happening, I think, a lot is nobody really is talking to each other very well and understanding what's going on around uh, all kinds of issues. And so what I really think is very interesting is to get people uh, talking about where things are going and talking about the bigger ideas. So I'm really pleased you're here to do that. Um, so give us a little background on yourself. I often, whenever I talk to entrepreneurs, I want to give an idea of where people come from and how they get where they've gotten. Well, it depends when in time you ask. All right, all right. I come from child. Uh, oh, child, go ahead. I was born in Iran, mm-hmm. so I was a product of the revolution. Came out here in 1979 mm-hmm. when I was about 10 years old with my mm-hmm. family, um, and came to Los Angeles. So I right. grew up in Los Angeles. Um, even though I probably spent more time outside of Los Angeles, I still consider that that's where I grew up my formative years. Uh, was there through UCLA undergrad. Came out to DC to become a patent mm-hmm. uh, attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought nowhere else better. I studied physiology, so I really wanted to be in the biotech. And right around then, the biotech movement had broken and with what, genetics. Why, why so? You know, when I was uh, an undergrad and studying those issues, I loved it. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and I'll explain uh, how I demonstrate my love because mm-hmm. I actually did something crazy. I went mm-hmm. and got my master's in biotechnology after wow. law school. Uh, but I love the sciences. I mm-hmm. think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a huge impact on every one of our Absolutely. lives uh, in, uh, you know, medicine. Mm-hmm. And I was just fascinated by it. So in undergrad, when I was studying, the god of our world was the NIH mm-hmm. and the scientists at the National Institutes of Health. Right. So I came out here to become a biotech patent lawyer and work at the NIH during the day. And mm-hmm. GW back then had the had one of the you know best programs. So uh, I came to D.C., fell in love with the area, went to school mm-hmm. uh, at night and started working the, at the getting the biotech NIH. after law school? Uh, when, uh, no, this is in law school. Law school. Law okay. school was night for me. Right, right. And I worked at the you went to a- where? NIH. Yeah. Uh, I went to George Washington George University. Washington. Uh-huh. And, and you worked at NIH. And what was your job? What did it entail? So the, the NIH had this thing, probably one of the greatest industrial policies in the United States was mm-hmm. this thing called Bayh-Dole Act. Mm-hmm. And this is former Senator Birch Bayh and former yep. Senator Bob Dole. Uh, since there's both of those. Right. Uh, later on, uh, uh, they they passed this law that said that innovations, inventions that were funded by federal government uh, resources uh, should be allowed under certain conditions to be commercialized right. and licensed like the out internet, to the... Perhaps. Well, the internet, you name it, mm-hmm. GPS technology, mm-hmm. uh, almost 80% of our biotechnology has some sources and basic uh, right. research that goes on at the NIH. Mm-hmm. The uh, AIDS test kit, mm-hmm. tamoxifen for, you know, breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, you name it, there's many of them. And so the, some of the world's best scientists are at the NIH. Right. Uh, and I love that. And so there was this little office that was involved with patenting the technologies owned by right. the NIH right, right. and then also commercializing them through mm-hmm. licensing uh, cooperative R&D agreements, right. Right. Com- direct commercialization. And that was the office I got the chance to 
get my start. Get to work in. in. And you, why didn't you be, open a biotech company? I mean, you wanted to be a lawyer for this? What was the thinking? I've always loved the business side mm-hmm. of uh, things. I, uh, that's, you know, I think probably what uh, why I was gravitated to both intellectual property law and mm-hmm. antitrust law mm-hmm. uh, is I was fascinated by creation, creative creation. Right. And what the business community had done, uh, you know, did I ever get a chance to uh, open up a biotech company? I, you know, those things are... Yeah. You don't just wake up and do that. Yeah, because so. right here was quite a few of them were in, here and in Silicon Valley. Right outside of 270 Court right. or right exactly. outside? Oh, exactly. yeah, quite a few. Uh, Silicon Valley mm-hmm. and then San Diego. Right, uh, exactly. And, then, and, and Boston. And it, I don't think it's by accident. Mm-hmm. Those were right near research universities. Which benefited from the exactly. Bayh-Dole Act. Exactly. Um, and another piece of law called mm-hmm. the Stevenson-Whitler Act which uh, allowed those to be transferred. So you now had this scientist at either, uh, you know, at Mm -hmm. Harvard or UC San Francisco or Berkeley, Stanford, uh, and uh, they would set up a little company on the side, little companies that became, you know, Genentech Mm -hmm. and Amgen and, you know, Mm -hmm. Regeneron Mm -hmm. and whatever they are uh, nowadays. So that's how those little communities develop. So that's always the best case scenario where the government does research, there's a there's a university attached to it, and then there's commercial interest mm-hmm. of everything that's worked rather well, at least in the digital space that's always worked out rather well. People didn't ever realize why AOL was here, but May East was here, the original, and some of the original companies that linked up people to the internet started here after it became commercialized, which was kind of interesting. So you did that, and then... I had an opportunity, I was kind of the lowest man on the totem pole, the mm-hmm. NIH, mm-hmm. where... During the WTO negotiations, mm-hmm. uh, this was Mickey Cantor was the U.S. trade rep, yep. uh, mid-90s, 94, 95, uh, to be detailed. And I got lent out by the NIH mm-hmm. to the U.S. Trade Representative's Office okay. to work on the intellectual property chapter of the WTO, uh, which at the time was called the GATT. Yeah. And uh, it was the first time in history we had an IP chapter and mm-hmm. standards. And one issue had come up was... Uh, the issue of government subsidies. Mm-hmm. So uh, in Europe, you had Airbus. You did. And you still do, mm-hmm. where the government subsidizes. They were. Uh, that was that, a big deal. That yeah. was a big deal mm-hmm. as a, and a competitive factor to mm-hmm. Boeing being able to compete in the free markets. And w- w- one of the Europeans in those negotiations raised was, hey, look at your biotech industry. Right. You guys got how, all this you know, tech transfer, which mm-hmm. is what it's called under the Bayh-Dole, and you guys subsidize this whole industry that mm-hmm. you guys are a leader mm-hmm. in. And so people wanted to know, what is this tech transfer? Right. And I got a chance to go. And that was my first taste of policy. Right. Uh, I was 23-ish or so. Wow. And came to work on the trade reps. And it was a phenomenal experience to learn at probably one of the better agencies and, in all and the government. about that idea of tech transfer. It's really important. I think it's a really that people forget of how this happens and how it was it to give advice around the globe or to create a, a global initiative in that regard? Well, initially it was to understand how does this work in the U.S. government right. and how do you distinguish that from what, you know, uh, foreign countries which do and provide. subsidies, yeah. Exactly. Right. To, which, you know, which distorts the competitive process. Or it can. Or sometimes people look at it in a good way. We can talk about that later because what's going on in Korea where uh, people right. feel that that's a great thing for the guy. Or, or even if you go back before that, telephones, you know, the, the telephone subsidies that were happening to create that, which create different. There's different ways to do it. Different ways, but when you do that to create national champions, to distort mm-hmm. competition yes, yes. Uh, in that race that should occur, hopefully mm-hmm. in free competition, mm-hmm. um, that was the issue. So people wanted to understand. And then when I got there, we, you know, I got tasked with doing a lot of things that was uh, at the time going mm-hmm. on, which dealt with uh, both bilateral and multilateral. And it was the implementation of that WTO agreement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the first uh, real taste I had yeah. of policy. Yeah. And probably change the direction because otherwise I was going to do my work at NIH, finish law school, right, and move somewhere in the sun between Santa Barbara and San Diego, and then just work for biotech firms, or you know practice law or practice do something. Uh, so that's what I you, would have done. so then you you did practice law then. I did. So I left the trade reps office. I did a health fellowship working for Orrin Hatch mm-hmm. on the Senate Judiciary Committee, dealing with the export of biotech and food and drug laws. Mm -hmm. Back then, our U.S. laws were, if you had a drug or device that had been approved abroad Mm -hmm. in, let's say, in Germany, but had not been approved by the FDA, you couldn't export that. Right. 
And so the U.S. laws, you know, got reformed. I want to say that was 95-ish or so, mm-hmm. 94, 95 later. Um, and then I went, when I graduated, I joined a law firm, uh, Patton Boggs, mm-hmm. uh, here in D.C. Big one. Where uh, I, I got to, again, see a different side of things. They didn't have a patent practice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was doing more, uh, some copyright and then antitrust law. Right, which is where you got into that. That's where I got more into that, and, and you, I was already fascinated you, by it. In that, you, is that where you work for, you work for a number of tech, I've run into a lot of tech companies who you've worked for. That's uh, just I recently have. an executive, yeah. uh, I'm not going to name who it is, but it was, it was, you started to work for tech companies in general. I did. I did some work uh, over there. Mm-hmm. I did uh, uh, for some tech companies. Mm-hmm. I did for some, you know, plain old merger work for mm-hmm. paper companies. Right. right. Um, I did uh, some telecom. That was What's that paper. Was a paper. No, I'm kidding. I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> technology, a corrugated paper. <laughs> yes. Uh, the. Uh, it's a good technology. It works uh, well for Amazon. You know, it's a huge part of our market. Yeah, it is. The law firm had acquired a telecom practice, and at mm-hmm. the time, you remember. It was right before the 1996 uh, Telecom Act. Yes. So that was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patton Boggs was heavily involved with the reform mm-hmm. of uh, the law, but also had a lot of clients uh, in the regulatory side. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did some antitrust work. Uh, and then I got a chance to go work for the Senate Judiciary Committee mm-hmm. on the Microsoft investigation. Yeah. So Orrin Hatch led the you know the investigation in mm-hmm. that after some complaints, um, and uh, uh, you know uh, his then uh, the Senate Judiciary's chief of staff mm-hmm. had called me because I had done remember about a, a yeah. five month little fellowship mm-hmm. on the health stuff, and so I'd gotten to know some of them, but they contacted me said, hey, would you have any interest to come work on antitrust and uh, so talk about that IP. was that where it was, that was the first time you sort of got to see the power of Silicon Valley. I covered that for the Washington Post, but it was really it was it was a remarkably important case. I don't think people think hard enough about what it meant, what that particular case meant. How did you look at that? Uh, I saw not well not only the power of Silicon Valley, but power of uh, technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw a lot of companies who were coming uh, together, mm-hmm. uh, but. You know, you saw the, the what was the anti-competitive conduct, what was mm-hmm. alleged, mm-hmm. and you had many cases of folks right. who were saying, "Hey, I'm getting crushed right. because lots and lots of this things, company including cannot." AOL, including yeah, Netscape. We had Netscape. That mm-hmm. was the one. Or mm-hmm. Mark Andreessen and Jim Barksdale. Mm-hmm. You also had Scott McNeely at, mm-hmm. at Sun at the time and yeah. Larry Ellison right. at Oracle. But so I got involved with that AOL mm-hmm. uh, at the time was very much yep. uh, AOL Time Warner merger mm-hmm. was a yeah. hearing I worked on. Yeah, yeah. Back then. Um, so a lot of these things kind of come back. And then copyright as well. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the Digital Millennium Copyright right. Act. Right. I wasn't the principal staffer on that, mm-hmm. but I was there when that was happening. And there was an interesting time because there were a lot of provisions and laws that were made right. then that has, to this day, has huge impact on Absolutely. the tech industry. So what did you think at the time? I want to get, because I want to get, we want to move forward to today, mm-hmm. but what was your inkling at the time as these were happening? Because... The Microsoft merger, everyone thought it would take care of the situation, that it would free everybody up to compete and everything else. And then all that happened is there's enormous, powerful companies now, and now there's lots of them. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I think the merger probably allowed for some of those companies to flourish. Yes, absolutely. You know, you you question, you kind of never know. That's Mm -hmm. one of the always the challenges in antitrust enforcement. It's always prospective. but you also, you know, you, 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 that's why sometimes the job is difficult. You mm-hmm. always have to come in every day and, and try to get it right. Right. Because you don't want to hinder innovation. You don't. That's, I think, our, our most important aspect of U.S. antitrust law mm-hmm. is not hindering that mm-hmm. and actually creating the culture for innovation, mm-hmm. partly because, uh, not partly, but largely because innovation is actually what creates competition to topple incumbents. Presumably, yes. Presumably. I mean, you know, you have, uh, you know, a Netflix Mm -hmm. or Amazon Mm -hmm. that provide consumers what they wanted that Mm -hmm. they could have probably had Mm -hmm. had the many MVPDs allowed for that. Right. uh, MVPDs being the cable operators Mm -hmm. or others. But when the incentives aren't there financially right, to do that, exactly. all of a sudden you have now with the advent of internet and or online the streaming. It's not just incentives, it's the thinking of doing it. Right. Uh, there could be the thinking, but mm-hmm. th- when the incentive isn't there, it gets killed. It gets killed. That's absolutely. why you have entrepreneurs breaking mm-hmm. off and starting these little right. startups. So what so. impact did that, t- we're going to get on to that in the next <laughs> section, but before we finish this one up, what impact do you think the Microsoft trial right. had when you look back on it? 
I think it had a number of impacts. Mm-hmm. One, importantly, it reinforced the consensus antitrust view, which mm-hmm. was upheld by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals mm-hmm. under traditional antitrust analysis that was applied to those acts. So Joel Klein and the Justice Department who brought the case uh, and, and tried that, there's a lot of folks, naysayers, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are crazy what is right. happening there, whether it was, you know, certain editorial pages, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're interfering with business. But at, the, at its core, in my view, antitrust mm-hmm. it protects that free market. And that showed that w- those practices mm-hmm. were wrong mm-hmm. and they were crushing innovation. Right. So I think it made uh, perhaps Microsoft a, uh, you know, I think a better corporate citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their business hasn't no. uh, been harmed, but other businesses were able to get off the ground. Right. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't know if Apple would be the trillion dollar company mm-hmm. had it not been for that, partly mm-hmm. because a new phone would have come on and you would have had to have had the operating Microsoft operating, operating system, system. Right. Uh, rather than the Apple, which then flourished in App Store mm-hmm. and, and, and others. So I think a lot of innovation has occurred probably because of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? What's interesting is people don't realize Google came after Microsoft, right. really. You know, I mean, a right. lot of things, things that you don't even think about um, came and, after that trial. Could Google have survived mm-hmm. had Microsoft wanted to put its own search engine as the preferred search engine in every operating system, which right. was 98% of every computer, mm-hmm. and then every phone. Right. And the only search engine you could have had, mm-hmm. because without it, you wouldn't have been able to have access yeah. to the operating system. Right. Then where would that search yeah. engine have been? Um, so, you know. You might not even know. have had a phone, because Microsoft had a lot of disdain for phones at the time, if, if you remember. I mean, I remember. There are a lot of companies who have yeah. a lot of disdain for new technology. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Things. All right, we're here with Macon sure. uh, Del Rahim. He's the Assistant Attorney General for the Antitrust Division of the U.S. Uh, Justice Department. We're going to take a quick break. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on now. We've just been talking about the history of some things that he's been doing over the years. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back with Macon Delrahim. He's the Assistant Attorney General for the Antitrust Division of the U.S. Justice Department. Let's fast forward today. So you have all these companies. They've grown up. And I think the Microsoft trial was sort of the great moment for tech when people realized the power of tech, and not just in terms of money that these people had, Bill Gates being the richest man in the world at the time, I think. I'm not sure if he is now. He's up there. He's still up there. He remains as rich as ever. But it was sort of a, it was like a moment for Silicon Valley. And when the real innovation began to start in Silicon, I think most people feel, despite the fact there'd been so much going on with computers before that, you worked for a whole bunch of different companies after that in the ensuing years. How do you look at Silicon Valley right now? Because a lot of people in Europe and elsewhere feel like it needs to be pulled back. Um, and we'll talk about, we can't talk specifically about your case, or maybe you can a little bit, but how do you look at it overall when you're thinking about these powers? We've created, it's a really an American-made industry right now, and of course it's getting a lot of pressure from China and other places, largely from China. How do you look at it overall when you think about the tech industry here in this country? 
I look at it with a sense of pride mm-hmm. uh, as an American, mm-hmm. but also that we are able to have um, some of the best minds and, mm-hmm. a, and a community that is able to uh, try, fail, succeed, and have a very fertile uh, ground for innovation. Mm-hmm. And innovation, in my view, is really what ultimately helps the consumer. It's dynamic competition. Mm-hmm. When you have those new products, new services being brought to the consumer, and we just don't know what we don't know. Right. We'd have no, who would have thunk right. tw- 20 years ago, mm-hmm. we would have the technologies we have today. No, no one. That every one of these phones right. are, can be a television, which they are now. Mm-hmm. You can broadcast and have mm-hmm. podcast without having to go through a local broadcaster right. or a TV station. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the consumers have benefited immensely. And what it has allowed is it's allowed dissemination of information to Mm -hmm. a lot more people than otherwise Mm -hmm. would be able to get. Mm -hmm. And what do you, when you look at that, many people though feel now that it's gotten to a point that they're too powerful. There's obviously hearings going to happen this week. There's all kinds of issues and I don't want to get into every one of them, but there's a growing sense that these companies are too large, that they're too, that they need some sort of either regulation or uh, we're in an interesting moment and especially an antitrust moment. How do you look at the, them now as they are, because they have innovated a lot, but you have these big companies, the Apple, uh, you have Apple, Google, Facebook, not really Microsoft anymore, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, um, sort of dominating everything, especially, for example, Google and Facebook in the advertising space almost completely. Um, But it's not one single company. It's like five or six of them. I liken them to a bunch of semis running down the highway with nobody (laughs) able to get around them in a lot of ways. Uh, in some ways, I think that is true. The question is, is that momentary? Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, you know, is that is that a reward of their superior acumen, mm-hmm. investment, risk mm-hmm. that they have taken? Um, it wasn't that long ago where Netflix, who's mm-hmm. considered one of the fang companies, yeah. um, was, you know, under siege. Right. I mean, they were right. nowhere. Right. They, they shouldn't have survived. Mm-hmm. But I think kudos to Reed Hastings and those folks who... Uh, persevered over, uh, uh, I forget now, the company. Uh, all was, of them. Oh, well, Time Blockbuster. Warner. <laughs> well, it was Blockbuster. Time Warner. Yeah. Blockbuster. Yeah. You had folks. I don't and, remember uh, Jeff Bucus called it, uh, called them Lithuanians. He called them, they, were, they, they weren't going to make it. He essentially insulted them on stage several times. Mr. Bucus has had very, very colorful language. <laughs> yeah. and, and he referred to sling, you know, during our trial <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. certain ways. But uh, no, absolutely. And these folks uh, survive mm-hmm. despite all odds. Mm-hmm. And they create something new mm-hmm. uh, and that, that people want. And then that is emulated. Mm-hmm. And then folks try to kill them again because right. now this creating competition. Uh, so I think that what they do could be temporary mm-hmm. as long as the barriers to entry for mm-hmm. competition are still low. Mm-hmm. Somebody can enter, can, you know, uh, there was room mm-hmm. for Snapchat mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. out and... Uh, compete at mm-hmm. some level, partly because consumers preferred maybe a disappearing snap, you know, right. uh, yeah. for right. uh, in 24 hours. Right. Uh, and I think there's room there for consumers to try out and for innovators. And that's mm-hmm. what we don't, we do not want to punish mm-hmm. that competitor who we've encouraged them to compete and succeed. Right. Once they succeed, we do not want to get them out of the business. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that our policies don't discourage that. Right. It's not, you know, go out, compete, be successful, but only to a limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not our economy, mm-hmm. and I don't think that is good for our economy. We want them to. We want every one of them to become monopolists mm-hmm. as long as they're behaving properly. I see. We don't want them to once they are there mm-hmm. now try to block and create a moat around themselves right. in an inappropriate way. Right. So that's so, that's the so, way I look at it. So Europeans see it differently. They feel as if these companies have gotten untold power and are advantaging themselves. And the U.S. government has been relatively hands-off on a lot of it for a long, long time. And you feel that's the best policy still? Well, it depends. Mm-hmm. You know, so my job isn't uh, really one of my legal heroes is mm-hmm. former justice and head of the antitrust division at one point, Robert Jackson, mm-hmm. who in FDR about mm-hmm. 80 years ago has mm-hmm. given some great speeches and mm-hmm. I've read all of them. Is that a legal hero? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> he is an absolute legal Why hero. Why is that? Oh, he's one of the greatest uh, legal mm-hmm. minds. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, a huge impact that to this day we feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wrote some of the dissents and mm-hmm. Korematsu mm-hmm. and some of the, you know, some of the most significant uh, cases. He was a prosecutor at the Nuremberg trial. Mm-hmm. But in antitrust, he actually saved, I think, the direction of the country mm-hmm. 
at the time when we were looking to see whether we should be focused on markets and let markets decide prices and direction, right. as opposed to the government directing. Right. Remember, around that time after the World War and leading up to World War II, uh, we were debating whether or not we should set prices and determine what products and outputs should be out there because mm-hmm. of steel and other needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a big debate. And he, I think he prevailed and allowed the free market to survive. Now, we make mistakes mm-hmm. in enforcement and we get corrected you know, by the courts and the Supreme Court mm-hmm. that sets the guidelines and determines kind of the contours of antitrust over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's the right balance. We need to be vigilant, mm-hmm. making sure, I think, you know, timely and vigorous enforcement of the antitrust laws, mm-hmm. like in Microsoft or other cases that may come up, is really important. Because if you don't do that, then you do have failure in the market. Mm-hmm. And that's when there's calls for regulation. Right. That's where Congress then steps in and says, well, you can only have 30 percent programming. Right. And now you have a very static mm-hmm. uh, government rules that might be arbitrary, but that's what the law is. Right. And those only come in when there's been a failure in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And to me, a failure in the marketplace can mean a failure in enforcement mm-hmm. of the free market. So let's, let's fast forward then to your recent case. I know you can't talk uh, things that are currently in litigation, but you lost uh, a case, the, the AT&T case, and you, you have all since appealed. What, how, what, what can you talk about it? What can you say about that case right now? Well, look, it's an important case. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the first uh, of that has been litigated, not the mm-hmm. first challenge. There's right. a lot of folks talking about vertical mm-hmm. mergers mm-hmm. versus horizontal vertical. Can you means. explain that for people who don't understand? Sure. Uh, it depends on where in that uh, in that chain mm-hmm. uh, of uh, supply it is. So a vertical would be a, a distributor mm-hmm. that buys an input, mm-hmm. a product that they would sell. So right. let's say, um, uh, well, a perfect example is AT&T or Comcast, they're mm-hmm. distributors of mm-hmm. programming content, mm-hmm. and Time Warner or NBC and Universal, mm-hmm. they're the creators of the right. program. So uh, Time Warner would normally be incentivized to sell to all distributors sure. that ultimately get to the marketplace. Right. If at and a distributor, owns it, those incentives change of whether or not they want to sell it to other distributors, because all of a sudden, mm-hmm. they're now the owner mm-hmm. and and also a vendor to a competitor. Mm-hmm. And so that dynamic changes. It's, you know, these, sometimes these concepts can be complicated, mm-hmm. but it's relatively simple mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, do those bargaining powers change mm-hmm. with that type of a merger? Um, some people, uh, including the merging parties, criticized mm-hmm. us that it's the first time we've mm-hmm. ever enforced. Well, that's not the case because... Mm-hmm. If people remember Comcast and NBC in the prior administration, it was settled. It was a case that was actually filed mm-hmm. and simultaneously settled with a right. seven-year consent decree mm-hmm. that prevented Comcast from taking certain actions yeah. in violation of the antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. And so the issue wasn't that it wasn't. It was just not settled. And those settlements mm-hmm. I've given speeches, I've written about these, I think is actually not good for the consumer. Why because is so. Uh, so your point is that they, they, the government had objections to it and they settled it before it got to trust. So that they, correct. Which typically happens. As which many, many times happens, right, absolutely. Right. But right. so there's different types of settlements. Mm-hmm. So in that particular one. And this is Comcast, Comcast NBC. NBC mm-hmm. uh, what are called behavioral remedies. So a mm-hmm. behavioral settlement. And right. what it means is that you, Kara, cannot do certain things for the next seven years or right. five years or mm-hmm. 20 years as opposed to what we call a structural settlement saying, mm-hmm. okay, hey, this is the problem mm-hmm. that causes the competitive consumer harm. Mm-hmm. You better sell off that business. Right, and get rid of it. Right? Get rid of it, mm-hmm. and let's create mm-hmm. the same competitive landscape mm-hmm. by having somebody else run it with or the incentive it. to mm-hmm. maximize it. Right. Rather than saying, you know, uh, you're the tiger, you're going to be walking <laughs> down the, 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 you know, Fifth Avenue in, I love it, in Manhattan. And we're just going to, we were going to ask you to promise. Not to bite people. To not to bite people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe you'll agree for five years, but after five years, you're going to bite people. Mm-hmm. So it requires the antitrust enforcer to now step into the role of a regulator of that mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. which, again, I don't think I or many people are smart enough to guess seven years from now what where technology be will be, mm-hmm. what the consumer or business model will be, right. and whether or not that'll be good. So you, structural remedy was... Structural remedies, I think, is the preferred one, mm-hmm. if it's possible. 
And I thought in the AT&T Time Warner case. So in the previous case, which was a similar to the Comcast uh, NBC one, there was a consent decree. It's still enforced. For another three days. Three day. another, oh, is it three days? September one, it expires. Wow. And the, and the tiger FCC one turned. <laughs> well, you would, you know, you, who knows? Uh, if it will, you hope yeah. that there's, but yeah. the, certainly the marketplace yeah. hasn't really changed to a certain degree. Now, uh-huh. there was a hope uh-huh. that there would be online competition by streaming right. and cord cutters, and we do have we that. We do have that, right. However, if network neutrality rules are mm-hmm. not in place, mm-hmm. you tell me if an incumbent mm-hmm. has the same incentives to allow free, unfeathered access right. to somebody who now competes we with them. We will see. We will see what they'll do. So in this case, you decided a structural remedy was the best case, which I read your... Because it was available. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'd say probably 80% of the merger mm-hmm. uh, I would have found would be, we found in our model and mm-hmm. economic models, uh, would be actually pro com- pro-consumer, mm-hmm. pro-competitive. You know, AT&T could own HBO, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean, you know, another uh, distributor could not own a Showtime. Maybe it is right. not as good as HBO, but they could. Right. Because now they'll have the incentive to sure. be better. Um, or you know, stars mm-hmm. or, you know, you name right. it, flicks right. or right. Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so there's ways of doing that, you know, and the studio mm-hmm. was fine. You know, right. they could own the studio. Mm-hmm. Could they keep some of that content away? Yes, but there was a competitive studio right. market. You have seven right. other studios that create mm-hmm. the content. Mm-hmm. The area of sports mm-hmm. and, you know, was the area that our economists found and that's what we did. But, you know, mm-hmm. the district court judge did not agree the district court judge, you know, one of our issues on appeal mm-hmm. is that there was some fundamental uh, mistakes in logic mm-hmm. uh, that apply to that case. Uh, it's laid out in our appellate brief. Mm-hmm. It's also laid out in six amicus briefs that were filed on our side, mm-hmm. um, including one from 29 very prominent uh, scholars, including mm-hmm. Professor Hovenkamp, who writes the treatise in antitrust law mm-hmm. out of University of Pennsylvania, Professors uh, so Doug Mellomet and others. So give your, your easiest lawyer version of what you're appealing. Here's the simplest so that, one. But before we do that, sure. the judge ruled against you. The merger has gone forward. Judge said that we did not meet our burden of proof. Mm-hmm. So the government has a burden of proof by mm-hmm. preponderance of 51%. That this will cause harm. But the judge ruled almost, you know, that you know, we didn't make a single point in this case mm-hmm. and that, you know, it was implausible, uh, some of the uh, evidence that was put forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an interesting, you know, application of some of the evidence mm-hmm. and standards. So we'll see what the Court of Appeals will decide later this year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, we entered into uh, an understanding with AT&T that they would keep the Turner business mm-hmm. separate until February 2019, mm-hmm. uh, pending appeal. Um, or earlier if the appeal decides that, you know, uh, they're fine. So that allows, in the event we win, uh, to allow for a structural remedy for them to sell that business off. Off to the one side as the merger goes to forward. To somebody else. Right. As the merger goes as, forward. Well, the merger, yeah. yeah. They, they close. They we close. let them no, close. I know it's, yeah, yeah. And as a condition, you know, mm-hmm. we did not seek emergency appeal. If we right. sought emergency appeal, the deal could have unraveled. Right. And two-thirds of that deal was not, you know, problematic. Mm-hmm. And as long as they kept that business separate, then, you know, we go through a regular orderly process. So in the simplest form, mm-hmm. Here's what the judge, you know, one of the mistakes uh, in that ruling uh, that that we assert out in uh, uh, in our appeal in is, bill. he said that it is, you know, it is implausible that a subsidiary of a company, a wholly owned subsidiary, so mm-hmm. let's say there's company parent mm-hmm. that owns two subsidiaries, right? And just for the purpose of simplicity, that subsidiary A, mm-hmm. he said it's implausible. That subsidiary A would ever sacrifice, let's just say that they get $2 of revenue a Mm -hmm. year, that they would sacrifice $1 of revenue a year in order for the parent Mm -hmm. to make an extra three. Right. Which, you know, just pure economics says if any of those subsidiaries every single day and three times on Wednesdays, you'd Mm -hmm. be willing to give up $1 to get $3. Right. Uh, Who wouldn't? Mm -hmm. But he said... No, they'll they'll make independent financial decisions, decisions mm-hmm. but that independence goes away when they're owned by the same company and mm-hmm. has one, you know, mm-hmm. profit and loss balance mm-hmm. sheet. So that is something that has been recognized by the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. uh, that has been recognized by every economist, that that is the, one of the most fundamental parts of when you have one entity. And then at the same time, he said that, you know, there's benefits, there's efficiencies that the consumer would benefit. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
we said that there could be mm-hmm. up to a certain amount, mm-hmm. but that only goes if so. If uh, you know, when you combine a distributor and a right. and a uh, and and a content provider, mm-hmm. uh, a concept in economics called you know elimination of double marginalization, then mm-hmm. both of them will seek to get some kind of a profit yes. to survive. Once they're combined, you presume maybe they could do away with one of those margins mm-hmm. in order to compete with their competitors. Right. So technically, prices could go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said that's that could. But that only happens right. if you believe in the, the same unit entity mm-hmm. uh, working to maximize the overall, overall profit because right. you're now competing to get mar- market share. If they were, if it was implausible that they would ever eliminate this, mm-hmm. so you can't have this internal inconsistency mm-hmm. in the opinion, which, you know, uh, in my view, is the 13th chime of the clock. Mm-hmm. And it puts a big shadow on the question of the logic that was applied in this case. Um, the judge said, look, you know, I, I can't believe that I have, this was a first antitrust case, mm-hmm. that I have to have a crystal ball to look ahead right. prospective. Well, that's what antitrust merger law is. You have to look what happens in the future. In the future. And you right. have to dip it in the bud. So were you surprised by the ruling? I was surprised by the way it was written. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was. Yeah. And so when you when you go forward with this, if it is not ruled in your favor, it just moves forward, correct? What are the two outcomes that could happen? The appeals well, we court could, agrees if, with you. The, if the appeal court, uh, appeals court agrees with mm-hmm. us, it could be, for example remanded to a district court Mm -hmm. for reconsideration according to whatever they rule. Mm -hmm. They could, or they could deny uh, our appeal and uphold the district court. Right. And that'll be, you know, uh, that could be the end of that. But both parties will also have the chance to either uh, go further in appeal. So if, Mm -hmm. let's say, AT&T loses, presumably, they could ask for either an en banc hearing Mm -hmm. Or go to the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and we would. But uh, you know that would be our choices. But you know whether or not this is not the type to of appeal case. Or you felt from your perspective. Sure, you always consider mm-hmm. uh, whether you should or not, because mm-hmm. there's a risk that you would then set a bad yes, precedent. Yes, exactly. Now that mm-hmm. is a larger mm-hmm. bad precedent. Uh, but this was the, the the opinion was so flawed that I thought it was really important mm-hmm. to get in this area. There isn't guidance, right? Um, to the, you know, to the business community. What what are the contours? What should mm-hmm. be the limits? And many people said, well, this is so fact-based that this is limited to this, but not an antitrust. There's not that many right. antitrust litigation. So these have an outsized impact on the business community. And I think it's important to have guidance and, and clarify the errors. Now, if, you know, if the court rules that we then were wrong. The rules of the and, game, then that'll be the. Yeah, that's exactly right. So lastly, in this section, and then I want to talk about where the future is going with all these sure. companies. Um, you got dragged into a political fight. How was how much pressure was that on you? Because most uh, the president had said very negative things about CNN and continues to do. How did you address that? You did you ignore it or what, how did you feel about that? Well, AT&T tried to make it an issue of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, President they, Trump's pretty loud about CNN. Well, he did. He had made some comments. Yeah. Uh, before, Before he, he was yeah. president during the yeah. campaign, but but he wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other candidates, including mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Secretary Clinton yeah. uh, and Senator Sanders, uh, have said that. I got I think I forget like mm-hmm. maybe twenty senators mm-hmm. who wrote to me mm-hmm. saying that block this merger mm-hmm. or do not do a behavioral remedy or right. something. So right. this was a bipartisan criticism about mm-hmm. this transaction and consolidation in general. Now. It makes no sense mm-hmm. and that the merger action was brought because of somehow an animus to CNN. Yeah. Because if you actually logically think about the case, mm-hmm. what we were arguing mm-hmm. was to have Time Warner distribute Tribune, which mm-hmm. includes CNN, mm-hmm. as broadly as possible. Because mm-hmm. our theory is if it's merged, then you won't distribute right. broadly right. in order to seek right. rent for right. DirecTV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you going to give up a couple of bucks of a license fee for a channel in order to gain a new subscriber mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. DirecTV that might right. be worth 1500 bucks. Right, right. You know, that's, again, that's the math that we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. So the logic made no sense. Mm-hmm. And the judge shut that part down. Mm-hmm. And they said that, you know, that they, they tried to make that. Um, but there was a major PR effort mm-hmm. by AT&T in this case. Um, and they, they it, you know, it was 
salacious enough mm -hmm. that if people were not familiar with antitrust law and, and exactly right. what we were right. arguing, right. oh, this might be, but right. it really wasn't, mm -hmm. uh, and it had nothing to do with, with it. The pressure from that. Oh, this, you know, these jobs come with part of that pressure. Mm -hmm. You just kind of you do what you do again, uh, Justice Jackson. Uh, you know, you go back and mm -hmm. read him mm -hmm. and about, you know, he gave a beautiful speech in the Great Hall to the second gathering of the U.S. attorneys in mm -hmm. 1940 mm -hmm. uh, at Justice, where uh, to this day, I think it is, it should be a model for every law enforcement official mm -hmm. Which and is? federal prosecutor. I said, you know, uh, we have a, a huge role as prosecutors. Mm -hmm. We, uh, you know, you can indict, you can prosecute, you mm -hmm. can do a lot of things, and the Constitution empowers you, but you have to do the right thing. And the reason why you are in these jobs and it requires, you know, presidential appointment and Senate confirmation is that you have to win, uh, you know, a, uh, a seal of approval of your character mm -hmm. by not only the executive branch, which is the branch that appoints you, the president, but also from the legislative branch, which is the Senate mm -hmm. that has to confirm you. And an important part and says, you know, you need, really need to uh, factor in and you don't go after individuals, you go after cases mm -hmm. and you, you, you need, and you need to case. take a look. Exactly. And make the case because, and he said back then, 80 years ago, that if you go after individuals, there's enough laws on the book where you almost, and this is back then mm -hmm. where the federal law books were probably like this, as opposed <laughs> to today, yeah. is that you'll be able to find a violation on anybody. Mm -hmm. I think it holds even more true today. Absolutely. We're here with Megan Delrahim. That's a very thoughtful thing to say. He's the assistant attorney general for the antitrust division of the U.S. Justice Department. We were just talking about his involvement with the AT&T uh, Time Warner merger. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the future of antitrust law, especially when it relates to tech and media. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. We're here with Macon Delrahim. He's the Assistant Attorney General for the Antitrust Division of the U.S. Justice Department. Um, so going forward, th th this appeal will either happen or it won't. And people either accuse you of carrying water for the president or not. It doesn't really matter. Sure. Um, but one of the interesting parts of the case, besides the allegations of interference by President Trump, was that AT&T and others, big telcos, were talking about the idea that they, they were under siege by the internet companies, which is, I, to me, is mind-blowing if you think about it. Um, and actually, they, they are in a lot of ways. Media companies are, telcos are, everybody's sort of fighting for the consumer. When you think about that from an antitrust perspective, how does the landscape going forward look to you? Because I think it's going to be very complex for the government to try to figure out how to regulate and control this. So that, that is interesting. I mean, it's, it's always fascinating yeah. when um, uh, when... Incumbents say, right. I can't compete with these new innovators. <laughs> right, exactly. Save us. We need go. to, you need yeah. to approve yeah. a yeah. otherwise illegal merger right. so that I can compete with somebody <laughs> who's killing me in competition. Uh, I think that's even more important. Allegedly illegal right now. It is not. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. Well, interestingly, okay. the opinion, the judge went on and on mm -hmm. talking about why because mm -hmm. of Amazon and Netflix mm -hmm. and Facebook. Yeah, that's right. That's they why need to. Is. And he said that these are vertically integrated. Therefore, right. I need to vertically integrate yeah. these companies. That's my point. The fascinating part is you tell me, and it's not lost on most mm -hmm. of the American public, that, you know, Netflix... And, um, you know, Sling mm -hmm. or Amazon mm -hmm. or any of these other companies that need to reach any one of us as consumers. Right. They're not vertically integrated mm -hmm. in what we're talking about. Why? Because they still need to go through a cable pipe mm -hmm. or a wireless network. Right. To be able to access, which, again, gets back to the network neutrality issue. Mm -hmm. 
they still need to get through us, through them to right. get to us. Right. That's the difference between vertical integration there mm-hmm. as opposed to they don't have the distributed a Comcast or right. AT&T or a Verizon mm-hmm. owning mm-hmm. one of those companies right. or the content. Right. So Netflix had to invest and mm-hmm. create this new content area mm-hmm. as at Amazon to, you know, go and produce and compete. Right. They had to pay that producer that right. produces right. whatever House of Cards for mm-hmm. 5 million dollars an episode. Mm-hmm. Um and they had to compete with HBO and NBC right. in order to buy that right. and they put did. it on their network. They paid more. That's right. all it means. Mm-hmm. But if they can't, if they get throttled, I mean, you saw the yeah. recent news this mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. about Verizon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, rolling back the firefighters. Mm-hmm. So the power is there to do so uh, when you're somebody is competing with them and the incentive will be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... That that isn't vertical integration. That's but another they major mistake. Not to, because... Exactly, of course. As long as <laughs> the they promise, it'll down. be fine. Uh, so, frankly, I you know I think I I am very skeptical mm-hmm. of those types of arguments. arguments. Uh, it certainly is. I mean, it's just ludicrous to even think mm-hmm. about it here. Mm-hmm. That hey, we can't. Well, there's nothing to stop Time Warner from going directly to consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, the technology, be able to go directly, just like Netflix or Amazon does. Mm-hmm. You don't need to buy a satellite dish and a right. wireless network and a fiber line right. as they did in order to get to the consumer. Right. You don't need to do that. Just You already actually have a huge studio, mm-hmm. an incredible library, one of the most cherished mm-hmm. content, mm-hmm. you know, with so Batman, what they have is Harry already Potter. Volume. They're not going to die because... They wouldn't die if they actually wanted to compete with those people. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, you know... Uh, the telcos. The telcos. Mm-hmm. You know, go out and, you know, uh, compete directly for that. Uh, yes, if the consumer... I mean, make it on their own. Make make their own stuff without buying it. Right. Well, here they could have bought, you know, even Warner Brothers Studios right, and HBO and Cinemax to be right. able to do that. Mm-hmm. But in our economic model, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have caused the same harm because they actually would have created more competition and more choices. Right. But what is interesting is that they could have done that. That argument was, mm-hmm. a, you know, was a, in my view, was a kind of... A, the scary internet people. Uh, yeah, and it was one where, you know, most people wouldn't have, mm-hmm. would have seen right through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge bought the whole thing okay. and cited it in the opinion, uh, which, um, you know, hopefully the Court of Appeals will pay attention to it. So if you do want to go down that road and believe that the Googles and the, uh, the Facebooks are, and Amazons are very powerful, what can they buy? Because a lot of people feel they're going to start doing the exact same thing. Like well, someone just the other day said that, for example, they wouldn't have allowed, it was a lawyer I was talking to, and they said they wouldn't have allowed WhatsApp to happen today, Facebook buying WhatsApp or Google buying uh, YouTube or, or things like that that happened before. Perhaps. I mean, if, if they were at the same place. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was raised uh, to be about Google and YouTube, just mm-hmm. as an example. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that those companies are, you know, are, are you know, per se legal or right. every activity is legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could very well be violating the antitrust laws down the mm-hmm. road if they take certain actions. Mm-hmm. But uh, just taking a look at YouTube, back when they purchased YouTube, mm-hmm. was it the robust content mm-hmm. distributor that it is today right. online? I don't think so. Did it benefit from the technology and the resources that Google had Mm -hmm. in order to make it what it is. Yes, and that's the efficiency that is positive. Mm -hmm. That's when mergers, you know, 95% of which... buying Instagram or... Facebook buying Instagram is another one. Now, you know, if Instagram was an actual, like it is today, Mm -hmm. back when they bought it, you know, does that raise competitive problems? Probably. Mm -hmm. But would Instagram be what it is today without Facebook? right. I don't know. And Mm -hmm. those are times and snapshots that enforcers need to be really vigilant. Mm -hmm. They need to look at it. They need to look at not only the price factors, Mm -hmm. output, innovation, Mm -hmm. quality, and seeing that, you know, does this merger harm the, you know, the competitive process in Mm -hmm. any way? Mm -hmm. And if so, they need to step in. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be afraid of, you know, politics or the PR Mm -hmm. that those companies can bring down. Right. I know that Joel Klein and the Clinton administration. (laughs) Who's now at Facebook? Uh, is he at Facebook? Facebook. I did not know no, that. No, Kaplan is. I'm sorry. I'm well, Joel Kaplan, Kaplan is. is. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Klein, who was the head of <laughs> the antitrust right. division under at Clinton, the Microsoft. 
uh, you know, they were under a huge fire by mm-hmm. Microsoft at that time. Yes, they were. You know, there were senators standing up, you know, uh, threatening to, in fact, not only threatening, but actually trying to mm-hmm. uh, defund the antitrust division at the time, defund mm-hmm. Joel's car access mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. silly things like that, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, ultimately were not successful. Mm-hmm. But those are important um, factors to consider right. is uh, – disregard right. that type of heat that'll come on you, do the job that you took the oath to do. So you, when, when, when these come, these are inevitably going to come down the pike, these, these mergers, as these companies get more and more powerful. I, I think they are, um, that they will start buying up lots and lots of things you wouldn't surprise. They, uh, you know, I've always thought someone will buy Disney, but maybe not now with the other merger going mm-hmm. on, um, but that there's going to be massive consolidation of these companies. Do you anticipate that or you just wait and see what comes down the road? Uh, well, we, you have to just wait and see. You don't mm-hmm. know what will trigger, you know, that type of a merger or activity mm-hmm. uh, or why uh, or when mm-hmm. if it happens. Um, now, I've heard that, you know, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Apple buying a content company yes. but or that they grow it organically. Right. You want them to grow organically right. and you want them to succeed. Right. You want them to topple right. uh, an incumbent mm-hmm. to the extent that any of those companies can. But if they actually merge and mm-hmm do so By and if Disney, it shows that it would be a violation. Well, and that's the question, you know, will they, would that violate the antitrust laws? You know, these things are very fact specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would that violate? And that's where, if it does, you need to go to court. And stop it. So let me finish up by talking sure. about the idea of where antitrust is going. When you think about things like, does it have to change in this era when when they could all argue there is plenty, there's there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of, but they don't actually compete with each other in a weird way. Facebook doesn't actually compete with Google. Right. Exactly. Right. Neither does Ant. They're all sort of. And you of hope they lines. haven't agreed to not right, compete. Right, right. No, no. Yeah, they all get together and uh, like <laughs> create our private information and then move along. They tried. I mean, they, you know, Google yeah. tried many times to create, you know, Google Plus and yes, they tried to do different they things. Did. And it just didn't, they, it, you they know. They were bad at it. Yeah, they're not they very were, social. Uh, I don't know if you know those people, <laughs> but they're not good at social things. But in terms of when you look at the future of Andrews, I'd just love to get your sort of high-level idea of where you think it's going, and especially in light of the fact that Europe and other places are, are becoming more stringent on these on these large mega companies. Uh, so let me take those in two different ways okay. uh, because there's an important factor on the mm-hmm. international side mm-hmm. because there's no international code, but then there's one about domestic and where mm-hmm. sh- is the law and where should it go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the law is flexible mm-hmm. as it is today. I think there's broad consensus on the left, the right, the middle, everywhere on this that, um, you know, as long as you can have credible evidence, I think you need to have the will to be aggressive in a timely fashion Mm -hmm. uh, before you kill off too many companies and innovators Mm -hmm. to step in where there is the evidence and it's, you know, it shows that there would be anti-competitive conduct or effect. And you want to do that. I think the law is flexible enough as we have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like the Microsoft case, mm-hmm. we'll always be challenged by new technology mm-hmm. and new practices, particularly mm-hmm. in digital. Mm-hmm. You have what are called network effects. So it's a winner take all mm-hmm. um, that could cause issues. You have issues dealing with big data mm-hmm. that people talk about. Uh, and you have to take a look at that. And how does that really fit into uh, ultimately what benefits the consumer and the free market? Mm-hmm. So I think the law is flexible. We'll see. You know, sometimes courts could get them, get things wrong. Right. And then, you know, that's really up to Congress to then mm-hmm. change that uh, after a debate, you know, where there has been market failure, like in telecom where there used mm-hmm. to be, or cable with the right. 92 Telecom Cable Act. Then there is the issue of the international, mm-hmm. you know, are more aggressive enforcers better? Mm-hmm. Uh, does right. that mean that they're better at antitrust or mm-hmm. better for the marketplace? I don't think so. I think there needs to be a um, – I hope that we continue to diverge. I'm very heartened that the fact that over the years we have had more and more div- uh, convergence on mm-hmm. the principles mm-hmm. and we got to be vigilant, make sure we don't diverge on the fundamental basics of you know economics-based antitrust and application. Uh, we don't have an international agreement. We don't have an agreement about how you view mm-hmm. this. And one of the more dangerous things I think, you know, that could happen moving forward is that a country uses the antitrust laws as a weapon against, as an economic weapon against one of our companies Mm -hmm. or or an industry 
in their country. In their country to fight. Well, they've done, they do that in Europe. I mean, uh, interesting, I interviewed President Obama. He, was, he said the Europeans are just doing it to hurt Google. And I was like, some people could feel Google's a little strong. Well, that's, you know, President yeah. Obama and, yeah. and President Trump seem to agree on yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I'd like to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, make sure because I don't think it would be fair for us to second guess mm-hmm. their enforcement decisions right. if we don't have the same evidence and analysis. Right. So I think it's really important for us mm-hmm. to also look at that. Yeah, because here in this look. country, Yelp has some opinions about that. You know, about, Yelp has it. Many yeah. other, yeah. Uh, you know, content companies mm-hmm. have those mm-hmm. views. So we have that. And there's, I think, a couple of states. Maybe a state attorney general in mm-hmm. Missouri has brought mm-hmm. a case yep. Uh, yep. or investigation in, in Google. But, uh, and, you know, the Federal Trade Commission in 2013 mm-hmm. had they, one. They did. So, uh, but I think we need to make sure that that doesn't happen, that mm-hmm. they don't use that because it's really easy to apply nebulous economic mm-hmm. standards and mm-hmm. say, you know, you are charging too high of a price for your patent mm-hmm. or your copyrighted content. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's a violation of our antitrust law because mm-hmm. now you're escaping other, you know, potentially right. trade agreements on right. IP or other right. areas because now it's you're doing it enforcing antitrust. And we need to be very careful not to do that. Not to do this. Not to make sure that other countries don't do that. A big part of my job now, which, mm-hmm. you know, probably wasn't 20 years ago in that in this job, is lots of international engagement. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, I have a right. full, just a full-time deputy for international mm-hmm. um, who focuses on it. We have announced a multilateral uh, agreement just on basic procedures mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, requires a commitment from all of our trading partners to not uh, treat a, uh, a foreign national any differently than the way you would treat it. We took a number of concepts from mm-hmm. trade and mm-hmm. antitrust and international agreements to come up with a uh, standard that would work for, for countries that have different legal and political mm-hmm. regimes. Um, and I've been very heartened mm-hmm. by the Brazilians, Mexican, Canadian, uh, many other countries mm-hmm. that have uh, signed on and to uh, help us negotiate that. The, We're negotiating. Right. Because they're much stricter. I mean, I've heard calls from them for breakups. But this is, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've absolutely. But this day. is basic right. due process mm-hmm. is all we're calling for. So right. we're not asking for an actual standard of law, I but see. it basically says you would allow for, you know, to uh, look at, you know, uh, uh, to have attorney-client privilege, mm-hmm. the right to counsel. Right. Uh, some of the mm-hmm. most fundamental procedural norms that almost every regime mm-hmm. uh, uh, recognizes to we get are saying to do At least it's a good start. But do you see, I mean, just the other day, someone from Europe was talking about breaking up Facebook, for example. Yeah. I've seen a lot of those calls. And, yeah. you know, people get a lot of headlines mm-hmm. and attention mm-hmm. by calling on, you know, antitrust actions or breaking up this company and mm-hmm. that company. It happens in the United States. Mm-hmm. We've heard this the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do I think that I think we got to do what we have to do. They're all look coming at to cases. Washington next week. To talk. I, I, I did see that. And yeah. there's broader policies. You know, mm-hmm. the issues, really important mm-hmm. issues on data protection. Yeah. There's really important issues of privacy. And mm-hmm. these are uh, important policy issues that the legislative branch and the mm-hmm. executive branch should consider. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it's outside of antitrust law, largely. <laughs> you, um, so I don't have them, to worry about that. Of watch. course, we'll watch them. Yeah. yeah. What, what could one of these things do that would you go wait a second? Well, I mean... If they coordinated mm-hmm. uh, with each other, you know, mm-hmm. ter- entered into an agreement to do certain things or stay out of each other's markets. You know, they're all at the Palo Alto Starbucks right now planning. Or <laughs> <laughs> no, well, they might be going to, you know, what is that, uh, in, in Sun Valley or something. Oh, but, there are, are you kidding? They're all plotting there. Megan, no, you have so I to don't, go. Uh, I you don't think, go there? They're not let you in? Uh, uh, they have not let me in there. Okay. That's, right. a, that's, that's a different club. Because <laughs> you'll rifle through their hotel rooms. But it's it's an interesting one that, you know, we actually look for the evidence mm-hmm. of the wrongdoing. So right. that's, I think, an important aspect yeah. is uh, uh, then if there is, then we'll go after them. Okay. And how long are you going to stay in this job, Megan? Oh, I serve at the <laughs> pleasure of other people. <laughs> okay. And uh, as long as I, I, I you know, have a, uh, this is a dream job for somebody like me. Um who, Are you, you going to get back to biotech? You know, if the opportunity comes. Yeah, we got uh, some stuff out in Silicon Valley you might want to test. There's a lot of uh, fun. I, I love what goes on, and that's an mm-hmm. area that continues to improve all of our lives. Mm-hmm. It has a huge impact, not Absolutely. only on healthcare costs. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the beginning of it. Oh, we, we're not even there. And I'm mm-hmm. a big believer that molecular biology is going to ultimately 
uh, address issues like cancer yeah. uh, and other diseases. Um, you know, the Silicon Valley serious. moguls don't want to die. They're working on that. They're all working towards They're it. They're working towards it. Yeah, no, you're gonna, I have You're going to have to do antitrust uh, for people who are 300 years old. Anyway, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for doing this. this Thank you. This is a fascinating discussion. I, I do want to talk more about legal issues as we go forward, especially like you were talking about around headlines, like break them up or whatever. I want to get into a little more sophisticated discussion about that. But I appreciate your coming to talk. Um, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more episodes of Recode Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't like the interview or just want to say hi, tweet at me. I'm at Kara Swisher uh, on Twitter. But James Woods, please stop texting at me. Now that you're done with this, go out and check out our latest episode of Recode Media. You can find that show wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.